All right. Hey, it's good to see you. Good morning. All right. We are, uh, this is week two of a series that we're on on the fruit of the spirit. And last week was love. So uh, what I, the way that we're looking at it is uh, we have love, which is like the, it's, it's the major fruit. It's the big fruit. And the other eight are actually the definition of what love ought to be. And so uh, we're going to be, today we're looking at joy. And uh, this is what I'm going to, this is a question I'm going to pose from the very beginning. Um, do you, have you ever complained or, or felt like you're not getting enough love in your life? Or you're just, you feel like you're just lacking in love? Like, well, people don't love me. I don't, no one loves me anymore. And I don't know how to love. Okay, have you ever gone through those types of emotions where you just feel like you're lacking in love? Well, it's a difficult thing to try to figure out. But it possibly could be that you just might be deficient in joy. Because joy helps define what love is. And um, joy is a, it's a, I think it's actually a difficult thing for Christians, especially in Christian culture, because for some reason the church has taught people that you ought to be serious and grumpy and, and, and like read your Bible and not be happy. Okay, now that you're a Christian, you no longer can be happy. It's pretty much, you know, how we, we frame things. And we ought to, we ought to laugh in church. When was the last time you laughed in church? Well, if you hang out with us, it's, chances are, you know, you've put up with bad jokes and you've laughed or something. But we've got to, I mean, God wants us to experience joy, laughter, happiness in church. And we'll, I'll show why in a second. But uh, I, part of the problem is it, it basically boils down to our misconceptions of God, how we view God, uh, in the very basics of the theology of God. And that is that God is good, but we don't think so. And our culture doesn't think so. And this is something that we've been dealing with in our psyche for forever. And we, we think that God is, that he's mad at us, that he's in a bad mood, and that he's grumpy, and he's cranky. And it often gets reflected in our art. Let me show you a picture of what I'm talking about. So let's, Crystal, can we show the picture of, 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 our, of our God? Maybe. There he is. So this is usually how we see God, right? He is, um, he's, rarely do we see God smiling. When was the last time you saw God depicted smiling? Jesus maybe, but usually not. Did you know that? Jesus is hardly ever smiling. God is never smiling. You know who smiles all the time? In our art, now the devil. And I was going to put a picture of him, but then I said, you know what, I'm not going to give that SOB any credit in our church. So, I know, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oops. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, well, we can edit that one out, right? Tech team, I'm sorry. But, okay, think about our depictions of, of, the, of pop culture and, and of the devil. He is smiling. Think about... Um, the Sun Devils, Arizona State, right? That he is their mascot, and he's smiling, and he's happy, and, and you want to party with him, hmm? right? We, we see these happy devils at Halloween time, and we got it all mixed up. We got it completely backwards. We think that the devil, who is bad, is in a good mood, and we think God, who is good, is in a bad mood. It's completely the opposite, God is good. He's in a good mood. He wants the best for you. The devil is bad. He's in a bad mood. He's grumpy. He's cranky. Yes, he does want to party with you so he can kill you and your kids. That was a little heavy. I'm sorry. So, uh, but that's the truth. He, he hates your stinking guts. He thinks you're disgusting. He can't stand the sight of you. And if you get even closer to God, that really makes him mad. He's a jerk, and I hate that guy. And I, I can have hate for the devil. I think it's biblical. But you see the point. We get it backwards. And so we need to, we need to first of all, fix our, our perception of God. You know, again, we think that, that he's mad at us. Now, how many people have ever blown it or sinned or something like that? Raise your hands. Everybody raise your hand. Raise your hand. We have all blown it. We've all sinned. And, and again, this, when, we, when we blow it and when we sin 
And maybe we feel guilty, and actually that's a little bit biblical. You know, godly sorrow leads to repentance. So yeah, you know, you did something really bad. You ought to, you ought to repent. You ought to maybe come to church, maybe do business with God, right? So that is, that is biblical, and we've got to. But see, we tend to stop there. We tend to say, all right, I'm a really bad person. I, I blew it. I sin. I'm a sinner, right? How many people are sinners? Keep your hands down. Okay, so... <laughs> But you see, we, we begin to take on that identity, and, and that is not the, the beautiful work of the cross, and the beautiful work of the redemption is that uh, uh, repentance, godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, leads to joy. And so if we repent of our sins, and we're in church, and the next step is to have an experience of joy, if we haven't done that, we haven't completed the cycle. There's a cycle to repentance. Sorrow, repentance, joy. It's what we call the joy of our salvation. So that ought to be the experience. And I think that overall in church, we don't get that because we motivate people by guilt and fear. And if I've ever done that, I'm sorry. But that, is, that tends to be the thing. How do we see people express themselves in church whenever they're dealing with repentance? They cry a lot. They're beating themselves up. But they ought to be laughing. They ought to be expressing themselves in joy that they have been set free. It it, it completes the cycle. So what is is the actual definition of joy? So let's take a look at what joy is. And and hopefully we'll get a better understanding of what it is and what it is not and how it can completely transform our lives if we do it right and if we do it biblically. Um, one of my least favorite subjects in, in, in the Bible is end times. It freaks me out. Um, and we're doing a series on, on, on Wednesday nights on biblical prophecy and, and the end times um, and current events. Biblical prophecy and current events. And um, this is not, I picked it, but this is not a topic that I would normally pick. But God had a different intention. He had a different he had a different plan in mind that was not mine. And so I was obedient. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to do it. We're going to do biblical prophecy and end times and do a little bit of a study on Revelation and, and uh, Daniel and all the minor prophets and things. And what really hit me out of this whole thing was uh, one of our elders, Joshua Woodcook, is spearheading this, this thing. And it was his approach to the topic that really got me excited about it because he had a joy about the topic that was curious to me. There was, um, it's like, the Bible's alive. You know what? These things are, they're, they're coming to pass, and maybe some of them are lining up, maybe some of them aren't, but it clearly, they think, you know, God is, a, he is alive, and we're in the end times. Now, when I was 17, I didn't want the Lord to come back. Maybe still I don't, you know, I, I, but but once you see and catch the glimpse of the joy of the return of the Lord, that's something. Paul describes it in Thessalonians. He says, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So joy is in the presence of our Lord when he's coming. Let that, let that sink in for a little bit. All right, so the kingdom of God is, is a big part of our theology. We have a kingdom of God theology, uh, meaning that anything that Jesus did in the Bible where he expressed himself through signs and wonders or healings or completely transforming somebody's life where, I mean, it's just all God and Jesus is in control and he's taken over and he, he, is, he is the Lord of people's lives. You know, he, that's the kingdom of heaven. He literally brought down heaven to earth. We're going to be starting our living nativity set up fairly soon. If you want to be an actor in the living nativity, go ahead. But one of the scripts, put on your bulletin there. I encourage you guys to do it. And the reason why we do this, I don't want to call it a, a silly little play. The reason why we do this play it's more than just a, a church production. The way that we see it in our minds is it's literally bringing heaven to earth. 
One of the key scriptures that we quote is Luke chapter 2, where the angel makes the proclamation of the coming of the Messiah. And you know what he says? The angel says, Behold, I bear tidings of good news and great joy. That is the declaration. That is the first thing that, that comes out of this angel's mouth that tells us the nature and the character of God. He's good. He's got good news for us of great joy. Now, if I was God, and if I was going to send down my messenger or my son, you know what I would be saying to you? I would say, behold, I got some bad news for you guys. I'm sending you my son, and he's super ticked off because you guys have messed things up. That's how I would do it. But you see how good God is. Behold, I bring you tidings of good news, of the gospel message of my son, of great joy. So when we think about the kingdom of heaven, okay, Jesus came to the planet to give us gospel, to give us good news, so that we could experience great joy, meaning that we can experience heaven on earth. It's, it's a powerful thought to think about, and it ought to change the way that we view God in our lives. So uh, with that, uh, the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's basically, it breaks down into three things, and one might surprise you. Uh, so Paul says the kingdom of heaven, uh, this is in Romans Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For the kingdom of God is not of eating or drinking. So it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not based on materialism. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is righteousness. Righteousness is God's will being manifest. Remember we talked about the devil? Well, he's going to make things right. God is out to fix things. He's going to take away all the evil on the planet. And maybe you're even experiencing evil in your own life. It might not be to the same scale that they're experiencing in the Middle East. Our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, that is, that is evil. And the righteousness of God is going to come in and he's going to fix that someday. Okay, maybe your problems aren't that big. But maybe you do have an expression of evil in your life. You know, Jesus is here to give us his righteousness not our righteousness, but his. So the kingdom of heaven is to come in and so that God's will is done, that his righteousness is expressed. And you need God's will in your life in order to succeed, in order to have peace with him, in order to have a deeper connection with God, to be spiritually mature. So you need to let God's will take control. That's one part of the kingdom. The other part is peace. The kingdom of heaven is one of peace. Well, that makes sense. All right. Peace is, the peace of God is, it's the atmosphere in heaven itself. So when, when Jesus brings heaven down to earth, and when we do our jobs well, and we can do the same that Jesus did, when heaven comes to earth, it is that atmosphere, it is the air that is breathed in heaven, and what is breathed in heaven is peace. So we have the opportunity to breathe in the peace of God. And to make peace with God. A lot of us fight with God. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for your entire life, but you're still warring with God. Deep down inside, you still have issues with the big man upstairs. And, you, and, and when God, when the kingdom of God is expressed, you have peace with God. You do sign that peace treaty with him. And people say, you know what, when I get to heaven, I've got some questions I'm going to ask God. No, you're not. You're just not going to care. You will be propelled into peace. So when you think about the kingdom of God being expressed in peace, the way that we talk about it around here is that you know, we, we come onto the campus and we visualize the word peace stuck up on the, on the building. Or it is a cloud that descends on the structure, on the campus. Or that it is the peace of God, it comes into your home and it is the air that you breathe at home. Heaven on earth, that's what God's designed us for. And then the last part, again, our topic for today, the kingdom of God is joy. Did you ever think about that? I thought the kingdom of God was seriousness and grumpy Christians that dump their Bible. That's what we usually think. But the kingdom of God is expressed 
enjoy. The manifold presence of God, when we experience it, when we experience God's denseness, there is fullness of joy. So you might get your pants scared off of you for a moment, but then you will move into an inexperience, uh, an inexplicable joy that you just don't understand. Okay, so that's part of it. The, the Bible describes joy as your strength. How many people need some empowerment and some strength in their life right now? I, yeah, we do. And, here's, it, and it's not a secret, but it seems like a secret. The, the secret of strength in your life, the secret of, 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 of empowerment is joy. Not being serious. It's joy. Uh, in, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8.10, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, they got the folks together. They got the people together. And they've been through a difficult time. They've been through trials and tribulations. Life has been hard. It's been unfair. They've been made slaves. And now they're all kind of together. And they're just kind of like, they, they, they're just dragged into church. They're not, they didn't come in smiling. They came in kind of bummed out. Have you ever come into church bummed out? Uh, yeah. So they kind of drag in all kind of bummed out. You know, instead of ex- anticipating to experience the joy of the Lord, they're just like, I guess I'm going to come to church and feel guilty about something, so let's get it over with. So they come into church. They come into an assembly. And, and, and Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was the, the builder, and Ezra was the priest, they bust, out the, they bust out the book. Actually, they bust out the scrolls. So they bust out the scrolls. And these people have been away. They've, got, they've, been, they've been through hell and back. They've been through the trials and tribulations. And for the very first time, uh, the, the guys, they start reading the word of God out loud. And the people realize that they have lived their entire life without having the word of God planted in them. And what do you think their response is? They begin to weep. They begin to cry. They tear their clothes. They've heard the word of God for the first time, which is the living, breathing word of God, and they're crying. It's the wrong response. You know what Ezra and Nehemiah do? They jump out in the crowd. They say, stop it. Quit your crying. Snap out of it. Rejoice. They take it a step further. I don't know if I would do this. Go home and drink a lot of wine and eat a lot of food and hang out with your friends. They literally say that. Read it. Have some fun and fellowship. That's their response. And this is where we get, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you want to be strong, quit being sad and, and, and take on the joy of the Lord. It's, it's a beautiful story of redemption and of pushing God's people into experiencing joy. You know what, whenever we get bummed out, whenever we're in a difficult situation, it's, it's hard to break out of. And it's almost like you're, you're, you're spiraling down, right? You go from one negative thought to the next negative thought, from one next negative experience to the next, and you think that your life is falling apart. And, and the, more that you, the more negativity that you feed your mind and feed your soul and feed your spirit, the further down you get. Now, I hate using my kid as an illustration, but, and I, and I told myself I would never do this, but I do it like almost every Sunday because the material is just too good. But my daughter, you know, if we don't pay attention, if we're, if we're absent-minded parents, our daughter will eat junk food all day long, all day long, Pop-Tarts and, and goldfish crackers and, you know, chocolate milk all day long. And she goes a million miles an hour, but come 9.30, I mean, she begins to crash, right? She just begins to fall apart. And, you know, maybe she'll see something scary on TV, like one of those commercial for a horror movie or something like that, and it freaks her out. But since she's been feeding herself on junk food all day long, uh, she begins to spin out of control. And then she remembers about something that happened at school that was bad, where some little girl called her ugly or something, right? Right? Oh, I'm ugly. No one loves me. And so she begins the negative self-talk, and we can't get her out of it. I mean, she goes down and down and down and down, and we're trying to reason with the seven-year-old. Have you tried to do this? Have you tried to reason with your seven-year-old? Just snap out of it. Quit thinking these negative thoughts. 
grow up, right? It doesn't, and it, what, what happens? It makes things worse, right? And then she begins to cry more. I'm an idiot, I'm dumb. No, you're not, you're smart. Now just snap out of it, quit being a dumb little kid, right? So, you know, and so we, we're, we're feeding into her negative, negative energy. And I, I have learned the secret to successful parenting when it comes to this. I have done it. Funny cat videos. Funny cat videos. So whenever I see my child circling the drain of depression and, and, and uh, negative talk and, and destroying herself with her words, uh, I can break that cycle on that system with a funny cat video. You know, the little, you know, all these little cute little things. And I can get her. It's the only thing that I can do to, to break it. And then we, then we can maybe have a conversation about why school was so bad or like that. But it is... Um, it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, you have to sever this, this spiral. You have to cut it off at its head, and you have to do it with, with, with something that is joy. Now, all right, church, hang on a second, because um, our world, our culture, our, our humanity values happiness. It values joy. We have to have it. We are hardwired to laugh, and we will do anything to get happiness and joy and laughter in our life. And so some of the research that I've done is that there is a process that you can do outside of the church to, to get some happiness or some joy in your life. You can take part of cognitive thought therapy. You can watch funny cat videos until you make yourself happy. You really can. But what we're talking about here is the fruit of the what? Spirit. Meaning that there is a supernatural joy that we have access to, and we just ignore it way too much. And so, look, we just need to say, okay, God, I want, I want that supernatural joy. So the supernatural joy, it starts with... Uh, an overall expression of, of, uh, of love and affection to God. Let me read it. I got it written down. I wrote it down. It sounds better when I write it down. Joy is a delight in God and his salvation for the sheer beauty of, excuse me, for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. So joy is a delight in God and his salvation for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Okay. So you're just excited about God and you're excited about the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So you're, you're, the understanding of your salvation brings you joy and God himself brings you joy. Now the opposite of joy, what, you want to take a guess at this? It's easy. Opposite of joy. Misery, hopelessness, despair, right? Those are the opposites. Okay, now here's what we, here's, this is what we have to understand as in our culture and as believers that are in our culture, as believers that are in the world but not of the world, and anything else, anything else that God does that's good is it has its counterfeits. And the counterfeit to God's joy and the joy of salvation is a, is a joy and elation for things rather than God. It's like I am going to be happy when God gives me things. That will bring joy into my life. So, and you know this to be true. How happy were the guys and gals that waited forever to get the new iPhone? Right? It is the joy of things that is the counterfeit to what God's joy is. So we have to be mindful of that. Look, and you know what? Things in and of themselves are not bad. And you can, and you can enjoy stuff that God gives you, but it is not the same as God's joy. See, but see, that is a counterfeit. Materialism, money. Some people think that money is going to make them happy. It will for a season. How do you know that money uh, doesn't make you happy? It's when you lose it all. This is why stockbrokers jump off buildings when there's a crash. Because their whole identity and who they are is tied up into materialism. And when it's taken away from them, they have nothing left. 
The other counterfeit to joy is in circumstances. I'm only going to experience joy in my life if everything is going great. If I'm, if I'm constantly at the party, and you know people like this, maybe you're one of them, but you're, you're constantly looking for the social engagement that's going to bring you joy. You jump, in high school, you jump from party to party to party, and you thought it was fun to party with the devil. God wants to party with you. Doesn't that sound weird? You ever think about it that way? Because you know the devil wants to party with you so he can kill you. But God wants to party with you so he can give you life and give it to, give it to you to the full. God wants to drink with you. Let that, think about that for a second. God wants to drink with you. Think about it metaphorically, please. God, <laughs> hmm? God wants you to drink the water of life. So, we think that, okay, if I can just manipulate my circumstances or I'm always in a happy place, I'm always at the happiest place on earth, and that is where I'm going to receive my joy. And then, of course, one of the big ones we talked about last week is that we try to find love and fulfillment and joy in other people. You know what? If I could just meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, then I will be fulfilled and I will experience joy. And again, it is a counterfeit to spiritual joy. And it's got to be avoided at all cost. Now, like I said earlier, the human being, humans, have to have joy in their lives. You have to laugh. And the other major counterfeit that, that I see in our culture and our society is cynicism. Okay, so maybe you're not laughing at church. Maybe you're not laughing at my bad jokes. But you've got to laugh at something. And the cynical spirit will, will come in and it will replace that. Again, everything that God has made is good. The enemy is going to twist and make bad. So cynicism in our culture is so strong. You turn on the TV, it's the family guy. It's all of these adult cartoons that make us laugh, right? But it's based on making fun of somebody else, laughing at somebody and not laughing at ourselves, and not laughing with people. It, it, the cynicism will kill your, your, your spiritual joy. That, that snarky laughing, you know, let's laugh at you know, people doing dumb things or whatever. It's just bad. So we have to watch the cynicism in our life. Again, we will laugh at something. So you're either going to laugh at the joy of your salvation or you're going to laugh at something disgusting on TV. You get to choose. We get to choose which joy we want. But you can't have your cake and, and eat it too. All right. Where's the clock? Okay. Baby, you need to get that clock out for me or we'll be here for an hour. <laughs> I know. Okay. Things that rob you of your joy, of your spiritual joy. Again, one is your circumstances. Your circumstances will rob you of your joy. Here's an interesting thing. Okay, your homework. Your homework for this week is to read Philippians at least once. To read the book of Philippians at least once. It is the joy book, and you just need to, you need to get it in. Here's the, here's the interesting thing about Philippians. A book that is so full of joy, so full of affection, not only for God, but for people, and this exuberance that you, you read off the pages. Okay, Paul wrote this in chains. His circumstances were horrible. God, and he was able to pen this beautiful book. So his joy was not dependent on his circumstances, which were chains. His joy was much deeper. So your circumstances will rob you of your joy. People will rob you of your joy. You have to, you have to, you have to be careful who you choose to invest your time in. We are in the world, we're not of the world, and there's some people that you cannot help to hang out with. You just can't get away from them, right? Their family, their coworkers, or whatever. But there are times when you can choose your company. And what Proverbs says, bad company corrupts good people. And you, if you are hanging around negative, sarcastic, cynical people, it's going to get on you. And if you notice yourself saying sarcastic, cynical stuff in order to get a cheap laugh, well, then you need to change your friends. 
Some of us, in order to have the fulfillment of love and to increase in joy, we need to change who we hang out with. You can, you can make a decision who your friends are. You can't choose maybe your kids or whatever. You can't choose who you're married to. We have a marriage class coming up in January, so we'll leave that alone for today. But do you see what I'm saying? Some of us need to say, okay, who in my life has joy that is bubbling up with inside of them? And that is who I want to hang out with. Choose who you hang out with. So, because people will rob you of your joy. The other one is worry. Worry will rob you of your joy. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the tension in life. Like, like the tension in life is unavoidable, and it's actually God's desire that you have some tension in life. Because if, there, if you're not being challenged, you're not growing. But if we're not careful, we will take tension and we'll move it into the area of worry, where we're paralyzed, where we can't do anything. All we do is obsess about the problem and never about the solution. And worry will rob you of your joy. And then the next big one, of course, is hurry. And we live in a society that hurries. And Southern California is the chief hurry society. And this hurried busyness, it's so fast that we can't slow down fast enough to hear God. Uh, I, I was up in the Northwest a while back and uh, asking for directions and I pull into a gas station. I said, where's the five? And the gas station attendant's like, what? <laughs> I need to get to the five right now. What? I need to get to the five. The five? Yes, the five. I'm going to Seattle. Where is the five? Oh, you mean Interstate 5. Yes, excuse me, Interstate 5. Where is it? Tell me now. So we, this, this rushed where we just lose the, the definitions and the highlights of life because we're way too busy. And, and, and consequently, we're unable to hear God's voice. It robs us of our joy because we're too, we're too busy. So we need to... Re- just get this hurriedness out of our life. Ruthlessly take it out. What are things in your life that are, that are robbing you from your joy because you think that you need it in your life? I have to go to this. I have to go to that. I have to be here at this time. Do you really? Do you really need to do that? There's, a, there's an app for that. Okay, so I was doing some research. There is an app that will measure your joy, your, your, uh, your, your happiness at any given time, and it will text you at random points during the day. And it will say, do you really need to be doing this right now? <laughs> and what are you feeling in this situation right now? And you, and, and you, you measure it and monitor it. It's interesting. Anyway, I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> All right, so how do we increase our capacity for joy? How do we, what is the practical application? What can we actually do? Now, uh, when, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, he, um, it was a community of people that he was intimately involved with. He knew them. He, he, he visited them before. And, uh, and then something happened. It's like something came in and took away their joy. And he addresses them in the beginning of the Galatians in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And he says, what has happened? What, what happened to you guys? Oh, you foolish Galatians, who, have, who has bewitched you? Because you once had a personal relationship with God. And the way that Paul describes it, he says, you had an experience with the resurrected Christ. It's pretty strong language. It almost comes across like they actually we're in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Very strong language. It says, you experience the resurrected Christ and you've seen and performed the miracles. You have all been empowered by the Holy Spirit, but something's happened and who has bewitched you because you are falling back into religion. You're falling back into legalism. And then he kind of points it out. He says, it's those super apostles. So when Paul left, there were some other Religious folks that came in and they, they started saying, you know what? You guys are way too happy. You need to be serious. You need to take this word of God serious and we're going to get into this book and we're going to do it legalistically. And it was so dangerous for them. 
And Paul says, who has bewitched you? And this is where he comes up with the fruit of the Spirit. He says, look, you guys, you're, you're, you're so consumed about material things and about the flesh, and you think that in order for you to be right with God, you've got to be circumcised. Okay, you're, you're, you're more than, you can laugh at this, okay? Because Paul was laughing. Feel free to laugh about this, because it's funny. Uh, and so what Paul says is, like, you guys are focused on outward ex- expressions of faith, and you think that you need to be circumcised. Well, you and those super apostles, you just ought to go all the way and cut everything off. He does. It's funny. Maybe not. <laughs> so, but this is, this is this, this, the, the, the strongness of what he's trying to communicate with these guys. You've lost your way. You've fallen into legalism. And you, and you don't have any joy in your life anymore. This is how you get it back. First thing that you got to do, and these are on your outlines. So this is, we're finally getting into the application. You want to follow along on how to increase the joy in your life. The first thing that you got to do your first bullet is you have to surrender your mind to the Lord each day as a sacrifice of joy. And this was, the, this was always the big problem with the religious systems in the society. They, they, they thought that, you know, all I got to do in order to get forgiveness of sin is to make a sacrifice of an animal. And what God is saying, no, you need to bring, you need to sacrifice joy because I've paid the ultimate price. I sent my son to give you good news of great joy. And so when you're in my presence, there is fullness of joy, and I expect you to sacrifice joy. I want you to be happy in church, is what he's saying. So we need to surrender our mind each day to that idea. Everything that we focus on needs to be, okay, it's it's God. I surrender my mind. I'm not going to think about the, the cynical gross jokes anymore that bring me false pleasure. Isaiah 35.10 says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. Okay? So this joy is not a temporary thing. The joy that you get from your iPhone 5 before you sit on it and break it is temporary. But the joy that you ought to be thinking about in your head is an everlasting joy that is infinite, always accessible, and never runs out. Your, your iPhone's going to run out. It's going to be obsolete in a year. Then you have to get another cool one. You know, it's a, there was this thing going on on the, on the internet where I was like, did you know that you can charge your new iPhone 6 with the microwave? And so they're idiots putting their phones in the microwave. I know, isn't that awesome? I know. But anyway... <laughs> We have to get joy in our mind. I mean, literally think about it. When you do your homework on Philippians, Paul says in chapter 4, okay, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is righteous, whatever is holy, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, you think about these things. You focus your mind on these things. And the peace, we'll talk about this next week, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your mind and your soul. Military terms. So you begin to focus on all of these beautiful things in life and, and the, the joy of your friendships and your kids. Whatever is beautiful and holy and righteous and begin to focus on these things, you will, you'll put a garrison in your mind that will protect you from the evil one. All right, next one is you got to let the Holy Spirit renew your mind through the word. Interesting, right? So the Galatians, the reason why I brought up the Galatians is the Galatians were saying, you guys don't know the word and you need to get back into the Hebrew scriptures and you need to get back into the law and you need to follow the rules because I feel insecure that you are so happy and now I'm going to make you miserable with the Bible. It's called legalism. It's called religion. But we are actually called to know the word, to read the word, to consume the word, to suck it in, to understand it with our minds, to understand it with our souls and our spirits, and to have our minds renewed with the word of God. Both logos and rhema. Two sides of the same coin. 
the written word of God, God's communication to us, but also this living word of God that gets planted in our heart. Like Jesus said, I am the vineyard. You need to plant yourself in me. You need to abide in me. So it is a living word of God. And if you, if you know the Bible, and if you can quote scripture, and if you can teach a seminary class, but you have no joy, you've missed it. You missed the, the point. If your idea of, of memorizing scripture is so that you can make other people look bad and silly and you can elevate yourself higher to them, you've missed it altogether. All look, we, we read the word and we prophesy the word of God to each other to encourage each other, to build each other up, not to make ourselves look good. So get into the word. Speak in a language to edify yourself and speak life to others. The word of God is a living being living and active in our hearts. So we have to have our minds renewed by that fact that it is only through the word. And again, this is what uh, Nehemiah hits on. He says, okay, go and enjoy uh, choice food and drink and send some of those, okay, and this day the Lord, excuse me, this, is the, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And again, they were getting this word of God and it was empowering them. All right, next one. Ask God to give you a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, and a secure mind. Okay, a single mind, meaning that this is going to be tough for some of you because some of us are on the fence. Some of us have, uh, we have a relationship with Jesus on Sunday, but not on Friday. We've been able to uh, put God in, 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 in boxes. And then we have our party life in another box. And what Paul says in, in Philippians, when you read it, he say you need to be single-minded in Christ, meaning that you need to focus your entire mind on the goodness of Christ. And, and, and he says you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be thinking about the goodness of God and then you can't be you know, thinking about all that other stuff that you think makes you happy. You can't think about the family guy, the episode of that, the family guy, and then you can't think about you know, the everlasting joy of God. Because when, once you do, once your mind is divided between what is holy and what is not holy, you become what, what they describe in Proverbs as the double-minded mind who is unstable in all of his ways. And some, some reason why we're broken, some reason why our life is all lopsided and, and it's flopping around is because we're, we, have, we, have, we have a double mind. And we are unstable. We have unhealthy relationships with others because we don't know how to love. We have an unhealthy, uh, inefficient joy in our life because we're not focused on Christ, we're focused on other things. And so what, what Paul says in Philippians is you need to be single-minded on the goodness of God, and that only. And that's going to bring balance and spiritual formation into your life. Uh, okay. Submissive, meaning you need to submit your mind and all of your thoughts and all of your desires and all of your will. Spiritual. This is important because uh, the, the joy of the Lord is a spiritual application. It's not a self-help book. And then the secure mind. Uh, like I said, in the, the, the peace of God will guard your mind. It's a military term. So we actually have to capture every thought that comes into our mind and don't let, it, don't let any of these negative thoughts take control. Okay, next point. You have to mind your mind by immediately confessing. Mind your mind. How do I mind my mind? How do I think about what I'm thinking about? Think about that. Let me say it again. How do, I, how do I think about what's actually going on in my head? How do I mind my mind? You know what? I can sin. I can blow it. I can be out of God's will and not think about it. Like, he'll remind me a month later. You remember you did that. You did that years ago. And now we're going to deal with it. But you see, if we have the single mind of Christ, and if we're consciously minding our mind and what is going through our mind, uh, we can take care of problems right away. Oh, there's sin in my life. Let's address it. Let's, let's ask for forgiveness. Let's take care of the problem. David is the perfect example of this. 
when he was caught in adultery, he is the king, right? He has this, he has this uh, Nathan who he could easily kill. He could easily dispatch this guy. Nathan confronts him and says, uh, you, you, you did this. You committed adultery and you killed one of your generals. You murdered and you committed adultery. David's response is immediate confession. He is minding his mind. Maybe he would have let it go a little bit, but he could have said, you know what, la, 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 la. I'm not going to deal with this on a deep level. I'm just gonna take care of it. I'm gonna kill you, Nathan, so the word doesn't get out. And that's what kings do. They take care of problems. They just take care of it at the source. But you know what David's response is? And this is why he's so important in the scriptures. He says, I have sinned against my Lord. He immediately confesses his sin. His mind immediately goes to, okay, I I blew it. And this is his response in Psalms uh, 41. Uh, Sorry, Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. You blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You see that? You see what he's doing in his mind? I know that my sin and my transgressions are before me in my head. Against you, you only, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from my mother's, sinful uh, from my, the time my mother conceived. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. That's a thought. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and clean me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. We sung about that, didn't we? Last song we did in worship, we sung about this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Okay, here we go. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit from within me. Don't cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me, what? The joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Okay, this is huge. We don't do this. When we repent, when we're, when we're down the dumps, when we hit rock bottom, um, the natural man would have said, give me my sword. I want my power. Where's my crown? God, restore unto me my castle. Restore unto me my harem of ladies. Restore unto me all of these things that I value. What does is, what is David ask for? Two things. Being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This is before Jesus. This is before Pentecost. We have more advantage to be in God's presence than David did. And he was able to learn some secrets that we really need to pay attention to because he lived in a New Testament reality while he was in the Old Testament. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, that was the most important thing to him. It wasn't his circumstances, it wasn't his power, it wasn't his money, it wasn't his crown, it wasn't the ladies. What does he want? He wants the Holy Spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Anything else but that. And your joy, your joy of salvation. I've got to have that back. Can we do that? When we're crying out to God, what are we asking for? Are we asking for the presence of God in our lives? Are we asking for joy? God, increase, increase your joy in my heart this morning. Rarely, I think. All right. Next point. You have to guard the gates of your mind. And again, back to the Philippians. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. So guard the gates in your mind. In John chapter 16, verse 22, it says, Therefore you, ha- excuse me, Therefore you now have sorrow. We all deal with sorrow. It's reality. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one can take from you. 
Don't let people steal your joy. Don't let anybody do it. No one can take it from you. Jesus says it. No one can take your joy from you. Don't let anybody rob you of that. All right. Bottom line, there is really no major secret in obtaining joy. It's a choice. We have to choose it. We have to say, okay, God, I choose, even though, I don't, even though that I, I'm dealing with sorrow, I choose joy. Jesus was a man of sorrow. The Bible says it. He was a man of sorrow. Yet, even Jesus said, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Even Jesus was filled with a supernatural joy. And if it's good for Jesus, it's good for us. We can receive that. All right, if I could have the band and the ushers come up to the front. And the song that we sang... comes from Psalms 30, verse 5. His favor is for life. Did you know that? Like God actually wants to bless you. He has, he wants to give you his favor. He wants you to live a life full of favor. God's favor is for life. Weeping we may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. God also wants us to he wants to give of ourselves. I think I missed a major point here, but uh, I missed two, I'm sorry. Last point is that um, joy, is, joy is not selfish. Uh, the way that the Bible describes joy is it's, it's water, and that it's overflowing, that it is poured out on you. And since it's overflowing, that means you have to give it away. And you can only give away with what you receive. So we're going to receive the offering right now. And the Bible says to give with a joyful heart. And if you can't do that, just pass it. We, just, we don't need it, right? It's a, I, I pay the bills. That's a very difficult thing to say. But if you can't give with joy, then don't give. But the same is true with um, your other abilities and your time. See, God's kingdom, his manifest presence. In God's presence, there is the fullness of joy. And the kingdom of heaven needs to go out, and the kingdom of heaven is also within you. So that means that you have to share the joy of your salvation with others. It's not a selfish thing. We shouldn't be in it to say, who can make me happy? Who can give me joy? The game ought to be, I have got this everlasting infinite joy and I got to get it out onto other people. Just like negative people can rub off on you, you could be a positive light in this world where you can rub off on other people. If you have joy in your life, you're giving it away like it's a fountain. Let's pray. God, right now we just thank you so much for your presence. And I pray that this church will be dedicated to making an environment where your presence is welcomed where people, where believers and non-believers and, and the lost and the seeking can come in and then they can feel the fullness of your joy and your presence and it will be the real and not the counterfeit. I pray we will take the, the real joy of the Lord out into this world where it will be infectious, where people will say, I got to have what you have. I got to have that joy of your salvation. Father, I pray that you will just strengthen us as a church and where we slip into systems and legalisms instead of being in a relationship. God, I pray that you will forgive us of that and turn us to you and turn us to your son. Bless this offering, Lord. Amen.